part of the burden that I have been carrying has been the sermon this week, which is all about prophecy. And the reason, you're like, why is that a burden? Well, because most people can't decide what prophecy actually is. That's why it seems to be a burden. Um, Really, I can't think of any more challenging topic than prophecy in itself. And you can be... You could simply say, well, yeah, that's, that's just God speaking through people to reveal his word to us. And I would say, yes, absolutely. And which people? And when? And how? And all those questions that surround all that. So the burden is, and this is the burden of, of most pastors, I think, is to not to try to tell you the whole thing at one time. Okay because we want to be able to consume it. So today we're going to be focusing primarily on Old Testament prophecy. And I ask that you give me a break in that because it's the only way that I can consume it one little bit at a time. So let me share, um, let me share some of that with you today. I had promised that I was going to teach about prophecy, and I was probably a little naive in doing so. <laughs> Seeing as Christians, theologians, and scholars all seem to disagree on what prophecy is, how it functions, and its place in the church today. I don't think that we should steer away from the hard stuff, but that we should face it head on. Not leaving questions unanswered just because we can, or assumptions as fact. Instead, we take those unknowns and we chisel away the assumptions by reading God's word, growing in understanding, and pursuing him so that we can grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, to understand him more, not just leaving him as this mystery which we don't grow closer to. I think the end result will be a well-built knowledge of God that stands against false teaching and can weather the testing of our faith. So prophecy is a spiritual gift that Paul encouraged the Corinthian church to pursue over other gifts. But what is it? And is there a difference between Old Testament prophecy and the prophets and how the gift of prophecy functions in the church today? Now, some of that I said we're going to get to at a later date, so give me a pass on that. But I'm bringing that up because when you think of prophecy, a lot of people have have different things in their mind. Probably one of the first things that comes to your mind is maybe like the book of Revelation, right? Or people prophesying or foretelling things in the future. But that's not the entirety of prophecy by any means. Because like we said before, prophecy is really the revelation of the word of God to a messenger of God to be relayed word for word, directly, without a specific interpretation, but directly relayed. Others think that prophecy is something that can be taught to people, or that you can pay and take a class and learn how to perform it. I mean, truly some of the huge errors that I've seen or have heard of are are things, have you ever heard of Prophecy Uno before? (laughs) Now you can see where there's a little burden that I'm carrying here, right? Like, people have relayed prophecy to be this subjective thing that you can just like riding a bike you hop on it and you just try to 
practice it a little bit until you can get it right. And sometimes you fall off and that's okay, and then sometimes it's... But the entirety of Scripture screams to me, no. This is the Word of God. It's not something subjective. It's not something wishy-washy or something that can be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, prophecy is to be tested, but if it's true, it is to be followed. And so it carries a weight behind it, a significance behind it, that cannot be ignored. That prophecy uno thing I was mentioning is like, you have a deck of cards, and each card has like a a different thing on it. You know, like, prophesy to your neighbor on your right that uh, something of their financial future, or somebody across from you, uh, something about their relationship. But you can see the problem here, because that's not God giving them the words. That's them welling that up within their own imagination or what they can, hoping that God will fulfill what they said. But prophecy is not hoping that what you say God will fulfill. It is what God says is going to happen, and he's going to prove it. And because he proves it, that's how you know the prophecy is true and the prophet is genuine. So it's not something that you develop or that it can be proclaimed and and received with disregard to its significance or authenticity. I would resist against such thinking. We're talking about supernatural revelation from God, and he is not something that we can control or develop. Nor is prophecy something subjective based on your own decision or belief. Let's look at Ezekiel 2. Because we can be sure that Ezekiel did not choose to do these things to himself. Ezekiel 2 is when God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet. I don't have any scriptures on the screen today. You get to open your, work your thumbs out today. There is no shame at looking at the index in the front of your Bible. All right, Ezekiel chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or whether they fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious people, 
You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or whether they fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written, written words of lament and mourning and woe. And a fun fact, it tasted like honey. You'll go on to read. I think there's a few things, especially in the Old Testament, that confirm a prophet's message, right? They come with authority. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. But conviction, the prophet's messages call the people to conviction. This is God speaking to them. What is God going to speak to his people? He's going to call them to himself. Conviction, a call to repentance, judgment for those who reject him, and restoration for those who respond, all of which is confirmed by the judgment of the wicked and the restoration of the righteous, just as God said. And it's going to be the fulfillment of that prophecy that's going to confirm it. So God says, I'm going to do this. I'm warning you right now. I'm going to do this. Come to me and be saved, or don't and perish. And when the fruition of those things came to be, the people who were punished proclaimed that that was true. And the people who were saved did the same. That's where the foretelling of the future is most prominent in prophecy as a whole. God's judgment is coming, and when it does, both the wicked and the repentant will know by its fulfillment. As far as I can gather, there are both similarities and differences in prophecy from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to focus on the Old Testament prophecy today, and at a later time we can expand on the New Testament, and even later onward to the value and the function of the prophecy in the church today. And so let me answer the first definition of prophecy. This is my definition. God's words given to a person, he has chosen to speak them. The words of God relate to his people. I mean, the simplest way that I could break it down. God's words given to a person, he has chosen to speak them. In the Old Testament, prophets were people that God spoke to. He wasn't always speaking to them. In fact, there were periods, long periods of time where no prophet received any revelation from God. Periods of silence in which the, the prophets and the priests and the people suffered without the word of God, uh, giving them guidance and counsel and comfort. And It's interesting, though, that God speaks to them in this way, if you really think about it. Why does God not just speak directly to the people? Why does he speak to them through a prophet? You might find it unnecessary, but consider one of the earliest prophets, Moses, who was called by God and charged to speak to his people. Exodus 20, 18 through 21, I'll read that. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you 
to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So the prophets received the word of God and spoke it to the people. They were his messengers for our sake. But why didn't he just speak to them directly? Why a messenger? And the answer is sin. Sin is the reason that God used the prophets. Sin is the reason why he used a messenger. I mean, think about this. If you wanted to write me a letter... You would write my address and my name, and you'd slap a stamp on it, and you'd send it off. you put it in the mailbox. What is the stamp for? The stamp is to pay for the distance covered for the message to be delivered. The distance is why a messenger had to be sent. In the case of people and God, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man created that distance. And because God is set apart, because he is holy and good, he needed a messenger to relay to the people who are corrupted by sin. We know Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the garden, but after the fall to sin, the holiness of God demanded separation. To be holy is to be set apart. And so God, who is all good, could have no corruption or evil in his presence. They had lost their intimate fellowship with God. And so God has to send them a messenger who can relay that to him. Because they were unable to interact with him. So God himself sets apart messengers, called to be the holy messengers of God, to speak his words with authority, to call his people to repentance, to turn them from evil, and to have them run to his safety. He speaks both of judgment on the wicked and the promise of redemption. Let's look at Moses and Aaron as another example of a prophet. In Exodus 7, 1 through 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. So even for Moses, Aaron was Moses' prophet. He was his messenger, able to relay his message clearly to Pharaoh. There's a big distinction to be made here to remember about prophets. They do not speak for God. They simply repeat his words. 2 Peter 1, 2 through, or 20 through 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes? That was Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. And I probably said Second Peter 20 through 21. Chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Yep. And the messages given for the prophets to speak were often unpleasant and met with resistance. Now, if you haven't read through Ezekiel yet, which is what I'm doing right now, 
you might find the messages that are relayed to the people to be quite shocking. And I'll read part of it. Ezekiel 5, 7 through 13. So you're flipping just a couple chapters ahead. Ezekiel chapter 5, 7 through 13. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You have been more unruly than the nations around you, and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Which is significant. Why? Because the nations around them are evil. He's saying you're more evil than them. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do what I have never done before and will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, parents will eat their children and children will eat their parents. I will inflict punishment on you and will scatter all your survivors to the winds. Therefore, surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will shave you. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. A third of your people will die of the plague or perish by famine inside you. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls, and a third will scatter to the winds and pursue. I will scatter to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. Then my anger will cease, and my wrath against them will subside, and I will be avenged. And when I have spent my wrath on them, then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal. Yeah. The prophets relayed the words of God and they relayed the character of God. They revealed to the people who he is and who he was. And he's telling the Israelites, I'm not messing around. This is life or death. Famine's going to strike you, you're going to be drawn to cannibalism. As a result of my judgment, he had called them to repentance, and now their ju this judgment is, is posed against them. And if you read through Ezekiel, you can see like a third of the people die in war, a third of them die in famine, and a third of them die in um, oh, a plague, excuse me, which is a picture of the completeness of God's wrath. But even still, there's a, there's a remnant that Ezekiel, like he cuts off his hair, he has to weigh it out into thirds, and he puts a remnant in his clothes. And even from that remnant, some is removed and thrown away, but there is a remnant that remains. And you see that, uh, that remnant of God's chosen people, those who he calls to be faithful to him, being saved through the wrath. So, so while there is a wrath imposed upon them, those who turn to the Lord are going to be saved. But we see both, um, we see both the, the wrath of God and the mercy of God displayed in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And I, and I know as you read some of that, you're going, man, that is brutal. Like, why would God ever do anything like that to anyone? And the answer is, is it's what we deserve. I mean, we are, by our very nature, deserving of God's wrath. We are, very, by, we are the rebels 
that refuse prophecy. We are those who refuse God. It's, it's only in God's grace and his mercy that, that we have turned to him and repented of our sin and, and called on the name of Christ to save us. That, that's, the, that's the only thing. We have nothing, we have no ground to stand on. It's, it's God's mercy alone that, that saves us. And I think the week before last, we were, we were talking about the resurrection. And it's so essential for us to understand what the wrath of God is. Because if we fail to understand the wrath of God, then we fail to understand what we're being saved from. And we lose the value of God's mercy and his grace if we fail to understand what we're being saved from. The imperative for the prophets to speak God's word and to do it with integrity was a huge responsibility. But the motivation for them to obey was clear. They could either fear people or they could fear God. Who did they really need to please? They saw glimpses of God's glory. They saw visions of God. His mercy and his salvation. And without the rebuke that accompanied those visions, the people would have never responded. Deuteronomy 18, 14 through 22. And I know I'm sharing a lot of verses, but this is not an exhaustive Old Testament survey on prophecy. This is just what I can share with you today. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. What's the significance in that? I mean, what's wrong with divination? What's wrong with seeking spiritual counsel? The answer, yes, question? I thought you were asking that. Oh, sometimes I do. I'll be more clear. But if you would like to answer, feel free. Um, sorcery, Well, and that's the thing. That's exactly what it's talking about. Like, uh, the divination and sorcery, they're interacting with spiritual things that are not God. And if they're interacting with spiritual things that are not God, what are they? Because only God is good. Does that make sense? Okay. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord, your God, at Herob, on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak anything, excuse me, 
presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. So the authenticity of those prophetic messages was determined by the fulfillment of them. I mean, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here so I don't forget. I want you to think about Jesus. What did Jesus say about him and what he did and what he said? Jesus said exactly what the Father told him to say. Jesus was a prophet to us all, is a prophet to us all. He revealed God not only in his words, but by his very nature. Like, read through Hebrews, and you can say, he is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the, is the greatest among prophets. He's the greatest among priests. He is God. He is our Savior. Um, I just want you to consider that as we, as we go through some of this without jumping around too much. So prophecy carried with it a supernatural calling an integrity that waited on the Lord, and an authority that was not their own. If you read through Ezekiel, and think about how much of the New Testament, think about how much of the New Testament is focused on the protection of the gospel. How much of it is against protection of false prophets and false teachers. Like, this is a real thing that they had to deal with and a real thing that we have to deal with as well. Ezekiel 3 talks about the authority um, of the prophets. Well, specifically, it talks about um, the responsibility of the prophets. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wicked or evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that a person did will not be remembered and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live, because they took warning, and you will also have saved yourself. Hmm. So there's this deep responsibility placed on the prophets. Like, 
I can think of a parallel in this, and that would be how the gospel has been entrusted to us. How we have the good news of salvation, and in many ways, if we keep that to ourselves, we are condemning the world by our, by our reservation of God's word. But if we warn the world and tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have done our due diligence and shared the word of God that was given to us with the people in order to save them. So with the prophets, there was a huge responsibility that was placed on them that they couldn't reserve the word of God for themselves. Another example would be Jonah, right? God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, which I've been to Nineveh, by the way. I didn't know it when I was there. Um, in Mosul, Iraq, like the northern part up there, Mosul is built around the old walls of Nineveh. And there are still Christians, or at least there was before ISIS, uh, there were still Christians in good number uh, in northern Iraq to this day. Now, obviously, they weren't converted to Christianity <laughs> when Jonah was there. Uh, but actually, the temple of Jonah still stood there when I was there at that time. And ISIS, ISIS blew that up, too. So, anyway. But anyway, um, Jonah is called to... Nineveh to tell the people to repent of their wicked ways and to turn towards the Lord, somebody that they didn't know. And they did. But Jonah was unwilling to go in the first place, to fulfill his responsibilities as a prophet, to say what God had to say to the people he had to say it to. This was a responsibility where interpretation was not allowed. Instead, the prophets were obedient to what God commanded them, that they say and that they do. And it was not just in words that they prophesied. It wasn't the only way that God commanded the prophets to communicate to the people. Ezekiel was instructed to suffer. He had to lay on his left side for 390 days. He was bound inside his house, and then he lay... This was for the for the sins of people, and then on the other side, he had to lay for 40 days. He had to ration out his food to, to prophesy the coming famine, which there wasn't a famine yet. To prophesy the coming famine, he had to ration his food down super small. I think it was eight ounces that his food was rationed down. And he was rationed down a small amount of water. And he had to cook his bread that he had God told him to cook his bread over human excrement or human waste. And he begged him, he begged him, I've never defiled myself with food before. And God goes, okay, you can cook it with cow poop. The point will still get across. He wasn't allowed to speak unless God opened his mouth. Otherwise, his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. But he obeyed, obediently laid on his side for over a year. He rationed his food to the point of salvation and cooked that food with cow poop for fuel. He obediently did all the things God told him to do to communicate impending judgment on Israel. So I hope you gained a, a little bit of 
understanding of what Old Testament prophecy purposed to do, right? These are direct messages from God, not up to interpretation, but direct uh, declarations from God through his messengers, which he set apart to relay that message. One of, one of judgment and one of salvation. I mean, the Old Testament prophets looked forward and they saw glimpses of God's glory. They also saw glimpses of the coming salvation. They are the ones who foretold the Messiah. They are the ones who foretold uh, the ways that people would be able to recognize him and to know him. So all of those Old Testament prophets are looking forward towards the ultimate prophet, the sacrifice which would pay for the sins of, of the world. Thinking of all this, I think how blessed we are to have the entirety of God's revelation in our hands. Something they did not have. To know not only of, of God's coming judgment and his wrath and his character but to know of his grace and his love for us to know what he did for us on the cross prophecy was god's way of staying connected to his people to communicating with them and we live in an era where we have the entire revelation of god available to us you can hold it in your own hands you can own it and take it with you wherever you go there is really almost no opportunity or excuse that we have to ignore the Word of God. And I know you're probably like me, where, where you often feel compelled, man, I should really read God's Word. I should really read God's Word. Lord, give me, give me a hunger for your Word. I encourage you to persist in those prayers. I encourage you, when you are met with that moment, of should I read or should I do X? Listen to his word. Listen to his word. And you know and you can testify that every time you do, it is fulfilling. Every time you do, you can recognize that it is God that is speaking to you. Nothing else speaks to your heart and your soul like the Word of God does. Nothing else tears you down and builds you back up with such great joy like His Word. You can read it in your own language with your own eyes. The question I'll leave with you today is this. If prophecy is God's Word, how will you respond? Will you reject sin? Will you call out to the Savior, understanding that wrath is coming? Understanding how much he did for us. God comes to us with the truth of his word, with the promises of salvation. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. God puts it this way through the book of Hebrews. Because we do have the entire revelation of Scripture. We do know Jesus Christ to be our Savior. So now how is it that we interact with God? 
How is it that we come to him? You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it beg that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned him on them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. That means it's enduring forever. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So expect this to be the first of many sermons to address prophecy because I really couldn't fit it all into one. Later we'll, we'll look at the gift of prophecy. But know this, God is not far off. He has spoken to us. And for as much as he has spoken about what is to come and the wrath that is, is to come for, for the world, the promises of life and resurrection await those who turn to him. That is his promise. We know that the other gifts, like the other spiritual gifts, prophecy is supernatural, something empowered, motivated, and fulfilled by God. Prophecy was a demonstration of God's mercy. He didn't have to tell anybody what he was going to do. And through it, it held the promises of what God was going to see through the coming of the Messiah who would save them from God's wrath. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to know you more, to see you more fully. Father, I pray that if our picture of you is is one conceived in our own imagination, Lord, that you would crush that God and replace it with yourself, with the truth of who you are. You are our consuming fire, our consuming fire, Lord, that is all holy and all good, who has saw fit to set apart sinful people like us for yourself. For that, Lord, we thank you. Let us never stop learning from now through all eternity, how good and how loving, how merciful and how great you are. We pray that in your son Jesus' name, the revealer of who you are and our Savior and Lord. Amen.